Welcome to the Drama and Language Teaching Podcast. This is a podcast for language teachers, theater practitioners, researchers, and anyone else interested in anything to do with drama, theater, and language learning. And beyond that, drama and education in the widest sense. In this episode, I talk to Carrie Chloe Lewis. Carrie is a stage director of new and devised works, opera, musicals, and professor of theater, personal branding, and film. Carrie has developed numerous new works virtually over the past decade. During the pandemic, she led the Red Wolves Ensemble in a devised Zoom theater laboratory and subsequent live video theater performances, which was something they also did at the DIE Days in 2021, and we will discuss this in some more detail. Carrie is also the author of Origin Story, Power of the Inciting Incident, a book about controlling your personal narrative through storytelling, which we will also briefly touch upon. For those who listen to the podcast shortly after its publication, the 2023 Drama and Education Days are about to open registration. The online conference will take place on 15th and 16th September 2023. The on-site part of the conference will take place in Uppsala, Sweden from 28th to 30th October 2023. Check out our website for more details. And now, without any further ado, let's get the interview started. Hi, Carrie. Um, very nice um, having you on the podcast. I'm going to ask a couple of questions that I usually ask of everyone, and then some questions that are more specific to um, to your to, to what you do um, and what sure. you want to talk about. Um, so I would start with a question, since this is a drama and education podcast, or more specifically drama and language teaching podcast, what's your connection to the field of drama and education? Well... Hi, Stephanie. It's so awesome to be here. Thank you for inviting me to have this conversation because drama and education is something that I get very excited about. I have a degree from NYU, from Steinhardt, a master's in what at the time was teaching for communities and universities, if you will. And so in my time there, I studied with many wonderful teachers who used theater to for social change or in classroom settings to work with different populations. And I have been excited about that kind of work ever since. And although it doesn't, I also, as a stage director, I also, you know, do commercial work and, <laughs> you know, but I think that as someone who was educated and has an awareness of how theater can change people's minds and hearts. I bring that to all of my work now. Mm -hmm. And you were a um, contributor to the Drama and Education Days um, in 2021. So this is yeah. also how, how we met sort of right <laughs> absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you something about um, a project or rather a performance you yeah. did also during the conference um, which was the Red Wolves project and I wanted right. to ask you how did this project come about where what are its origins how did it develop um, how did you end up performing at our conference yeah 
that's a that's a really great story. Uh, so first of all, I met Ava um, by doing some work uh, with an educational theater association, and we were just matched up. So that was a pure chance or or destiny. And I was I was super excited to to get to know her, and we started bouncing some ideas off of each other and just learning about um, different projects. And that was about the same time. It was during the pandemic, uh, the heart of the pandemic, I guess. Now, uh, if we look back, I was living in Madrid because my husband uh, was active duty military at the time and he was working for the embassy and we were locked in our apartment for seven weeks <laughs> and I was going a little bit stir crazy with my three children and needed a creative outlet. And so I started to reach out to I was teaching some workshops online and helping out some professors in the U.S. who suddenly had to teach everything online and didn't have any experience doing it. And I had been teaching from a distance and working online for for many years, almost a decade up at that point, and not not necessarily in the way that we knew it, uh, you know, in Zoom and and live teaching and in that way. But I was very comfortable in that environment, and so. I started brainstorming with some friends and we decided to put together a laboratory because what I was seeing is a lot of presentations of theater online that wasn't very live in the sense that you could watch it recorded. There was no real interaction. You know, it was missing that piece of liveness that we crave when we go to see theater, the difference between live theater and film, for example. And so I just decided that I was going to challenge myself and bring on a group of artists to try to break Zoom is what I called it. And so we did a laboratory of a three-week laboratory where I got a group of actors together and invited some directors to participate as observers and eventually participants. And we all just decided to run some experiments and exercises to see what was capable, what we were capable of in Zoom, what made sense, and was there a way to create something exciting and interactive and where people felt like they wanted to watch every moment and not get up or push pause and go get a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom like you do with a movie on Netflix, right? And After working with this group of people for about three weeks, we learned so much about how to use Zoom, what the advantages are, and a small group of actors, uh, Lydia Rial, Rachel Custer, and Carla uh, Banu de Jesus, we decided to move forward and create something together, a project, a presentation, if you will. And at the same time, around that same time, there was there's a group, um, the Women's Theater Festival, that also decided to to do a festival presentation online, and I kind of floated the idea like, should we apply without having a project completed or really even knowing what we were doing at that point? And I applied. So then we had a deadline <laughs> of that summer of 2020, and yeah, the Adventures of the Red Wolves was born. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you does how did you decide on that name? Did that come about later on, or was that there from the beginning? So, 
throughout my life. And uh, I'm currently writing a book and I've, I've recognized now that this uh, idea or this theme of Little Red Riding Hood has permeated my life since I was about 10 years old. And I now know this because I discovered an old play script that I wrote when I was that age called Little Red Riding Hood Says No to Smoking. So apparently, you know, this is, this is, uh, Little Red Riding Hood is kind of a role model for me. And I didn't, of course, I wasn't really conscious of why this theme or this character kept coming up in my life, but we used Little Red Riding Hood as the basis for the experiments, um, which it was, you know, an experimental live Zoom theater lab is what we called the first part of the, the project. And then I was really interested in continuing to explore this character. And I had three women. And so I started to think about why I was so fascinated by this character and the idea that a girl or a woman at some point in her life has to make a choice about survival and that's when she becomes the wolf. And so the name is a play on this idea of this little girl becoming a wolf you know, and the process of that. And so that's how, how, that's how the Red Wolves came about. And we still go by that name. We are still in contact and we still, we still continue to, to talk about developing work, but for that particular project, which is, it's really fun to think back now how it evolved because I'm a divisor. So I really depend upon the artists and the world you know, the, the reality, whatever the room we're in, the world we're in to react and create based on that. And that piece, Adventures of the Red Wolves, at least for what it was when we presented it with um, your conference, it was very, very relevant for that moment in time. And also it can't be produced, it cannot be presented off of zoom it can't be presented in a live theater it is very dependent upon being in a zoom room which mm -hmm. is kind of great too that we made something i think that shows how zoom can be used to its best mm -hmm. uh, abilities yeah and you you said we were, you were trying to break zoom maybe could you yeah. talk about that a little bit how, how did you experiment with the, <laughs> with the limits of of this yeah of this space sure we so i actually wrote an article about it for howl round um experiments in, in devised experiments in in breaking zoom and i had met another creator who lives in london um in the uk and we kind of exchanged some ideas about different ways that we could use zoom like for example synchronized choreography doesn't work that well because you have separate boxes and there's a delay and there's a lag, right? So we quickly figured out how to get around that by either not using dance or choreography at all, or it was an independent uh, contribution. It wasn't synchronized, if you will. Um, we pressed all of the buttons. We messed with all of the sound The different sound settings. We went into breakout rooms. We actually ended up incorporating breakout rooms to have interactive 
improvisational experiences with the characters and the audience. Um, we had a voiceover, right? So like <laughs> in the theater so often we call it the God mic, <laughs> right? The narrator, you know, which um, is really fun to do because I can, as the narrator, I was the narrator, I could actually see what was going on in the chat and talk to stage management behind the scenes. So it was kind of fun that we could manipulate the the situation a little bit. Um, and yeah, we had to figure out, we had a brilliant, awesome uh, stage manager, Cheyenne, and she was very technically savvy. So she figured out how to incorporate music because you know, that can be problematic. Um, sound effects because Zoom is meant to be just um, a meeting space. It's not necessarily meant to be a production <laughs> space where you have music and um, these other live live elements and sound effects. So yeah, it it's basically I'm not afraid to like you know push buttons and click click on options. Um, the big challenge was that because everyone was, so many people were using Zoom at the time, they were making updates. So they would make an update and then they would erase like a lot of what we had discovered or we had set everything in a certain way and then it would just put everything back to zero, you know? So it was definitely a moment to moment experience in that way. So basically Zoom trying to sort of be innovative and introduce yeah. new things kind of set you back <laughs> absolutely yeah, some for adapt some for, yeah and some for the better and and some not not so much for the better you know controlling making things automatic where we didn't have as much control in some cases um but yeah so it was kind of even sort of interactive between the creators and the software in a way <laughs> it was really <laughs> it was devised like you know day by day um, we'd have to get on and and do an update and make sure that all of the the different pieces were were working and then and then the actors had to uh, fashion you know design their own space they had to design their own costumes lighting was you know an issue with with um, you know depending on your skin tone depending on your environment the time of day. We had rehearsed at a certain time of day. And then, then when we went to present, it was a different time of day and the lighting completely changed in the rooms, right? And so your virtual background might not work or, you know, it was it was a, a very, what I learned about working in that environment and taking on something completely brand new, even though I felt like I had a lot of skills and experience was patience because it was a very slow process. Even in rehearsals, you know, there's like a etiquette in Zoom when you're waiting to talk or you're waiting for the other person to finish because the body language isn't quite there. And there's a moment of waiting to see if they're going to, right? So it's, it's a much slower process. And I learned to really enjoy that slowing down and not rushing through things and being okay with. The first time we presented the Adventures of the Red Wolves, it wasn't finished. We we took it to an online. We actually, the first time we presented a piece of it and workshopped it, we, since we were doing it online, we presented it in the UK for a, kind of a scratch night that they had. 
And we learn to really embrace the, the concept of being in process with it instead of, oh, here's our finished piece. Uh, because we realized that as the world kept changing and Zoom kept changing and we had different audiences that we wanted to be able to adapt and not be so fixed as well. Mm -hmm. And you talked about so two things. Um, on the one hand, making it as interactive as possible. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit how you did that. And also you talked about sort of um, taking up um, current developments that were going on in 2020 and sort of integrating them into your performance. Could you talk about these two things? Uh, they probably go together anyway. Yeah. So I, as part of my experience as in education in my master's program, I studied theater of the oppressed. And I didn't realize until quite later, quite a bit later on in our rehearsal process that a lot of those methods uh, popped up because um, we were looking at ways to, to be interactive. And so in a way, what ended up happening was a type of forum theater My challenges with forum theater have always been that the scene is presented and then the audience is asked to participate or the joker might um, change things and, and, you know, help, help other decisions to be made. But the audience is aware of the, the first outcome and, and the story as it was presented. In our case, we asked a volunteer to join the scene from the top of the show. They had zero idea, lots of trust, lots of faith in us. I really appreciate all of our volunteers because they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And so we asked them to come on the screen. And the story of this iteration is that these three women protesters um, were involved in a Black Lives Matter protest And it was based on a true story that happened in Washington, D.C., where there was a curfew and police were trying to round up the protesters because it was curfew time. And this man opened the door to his house and let in uh, dozens of protesters into, into his house to protect them from the police. And so in our version, our three protesters who were... Uh, playing the characters of Harriet Tubman, Mary Magdalene, and Princess Leia, or we should just say Leia for copyright, um, they knocked on the door of this unsuspecting volunteer from our Zoom audience, right? And that volunteer then had to decide whether they were going to let these three protesters, one of whom was armed, into their house, right? So again, we're coming to the the point where we can't do this in a live theater because number one, we're not going to show up to your house in a live theater, right? So yes, you feel safe, but at the same time, you don't necessarily feel safe because you, you're not sure what's coming next. So um, it doesn't always work out well for our protesters. Um, as in real life, it did not always work out well for the, for the protesters, but the, the, our volunteer was responsible for making some of those decisions uh, in regards to their safety and well-being. And in addition, 
the other audience members who were allowed to chat responses to different questions that were posed were also responsible. So in retrospect, looking back, it was definitely a kind of form theater of making people, first of all, the volunteer who had to make these decisions in real time and in public, right, to potentially be judged for the decisions that they're making. Then you have the audience who is anonymous, you know, keyboard warriors, if you will, getting to chime in. So will they make an exciting decision or will they take care of our characters in a, in a safe way? Um, was very interesting. And then after the first version, which was a short kind of short scene, like about 15 minutes long, the audience got the chance to go into a breakout room and pick one of the three characters that they wanted to have a conversation with. And our hope was that possibly through these conversations, we might enact some kind of activism or change. And we brought everyone back to the main room. And then we asked for another volunteer and we ran the scene again. And of course, the audience didn't know that we were going to run the same scene, wondering if they would make different choices or changes. And so I won't I won't give everything away because I am not sure that we won't we won't uh, share this presentation again. But the response was pretty fantastic in that the volunteer had to really think about how they were interacting. But then afterwards, the consequences of having so easily or not easily made certain choices about these strangers, these characters, which you know are characters, but at the same time, obviously relate directly to real life experiences. And same with the audience. It's very easy to to get influenced by the crowd, peer pressure, and make a quick decision because it's fun and playful. And then you're like, later on, you're like, oh, but did I actually participate in causing harm in this situation, right? So we were very, very excited about the results and the impact that it had. And I would love to produce this kind of work again in the future because I think it really has the potential of teaching through an experiential interactive experience, instead of just showing, really placing a person into that environment. And of course we run the risk of, you know, we had, we had one who was just not into Leia at all, didn't like that whole idea of Star Wars, none of that, and would not let her come in you know, would let the other two come in, right? So we had we had some really interesting responses, um, very personal and subjective. Uh, but I think overall, it's a very powerful and entertaining and poignant way to make a point uh, when it comes to this kind of educational and interactive theater. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That was the question I also sort of, had while you while you were um telling all this have you used this piece in a more formal educational setting such as in a school or in an ad other educational environment we at this point we have not yet we have discussed it a lot um one of the complications that we have is that some of the actors 
are otherwise occupied during the day when schools are in session. So if we were going to do this live and it needs to be done live, we would scheduling conflicts, you know, it's, mm, it's comes see, down to yeah. that pragmatic practical, but we have definitely talked about the option for being able to do this kind of work in, in schools and the ability to be able to kind of pop into a school in Europe or in the United States, for example, is very exciting to us. Yeah, exactly. Because just the, the topics that you mentioned, taking responsibility and making choices and all of that, I think that is just, yeah, so important in educational settings. And I think, yeah. And as you said, you could, you could be anywhere. Yeah. In any, in, in, in any country, basically, um, since it's online, um, that sounds like it, yeah, like it had, might have a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah. We but... were feeling uh, just a little bit of, uh, we got the sense of um, people being very tired of Zoom and kind of, you know, really wanting to take a break. And so I think that we also, there was a lot of fatigue, um, especially in, in, you know, last year in 2022, where we kind of as a group decided that, that we would take a break from trying to work in that way. Um, Rachel has since gotten married and had a baby. Uh, so she is, you know, focused on motherhood at this point. Carla just moved to a new state, you know, so we're in a little bit of a hiatus, although I've got some ideas um, about starting a new project with them mm -hmm. uh, oh. in the near future. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I see what you mean about sort of, wanting to take a break of Zoom and on working online. I mean, yes, definitely. There was very much the feeling all, all around. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So I think we we recognize come back. that. Yeah. And we totally recognize that that I've been working in a hybrid manner um since then. Uh, I directed a show recently where I spent the first four weeks online. Uh, it was on the east coast of the the US and I'm on the West Coast. And then I went in person for the, the final two weeks. So I think that people are finding ways, taking advantage. And I think that we will get back to incorporating these online methods because we are able to connect with artists, you know, outside of our local community in that way. Um, so we're just giving it a little bit of time before we try knocking on some, some more doors with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, that... Sounds sounds exciting and hopefully it'll go on in in whichever form. Um, yeah. So what? Let me just see what else I wanted to ask. Um, because I did want to ask what um, sort of yeah what became of the project, but you've basically <laughs> talked about that. Yeah, um, we're still very much in contact. We 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 found a way of working together even though we were in, at the time that we started the project, we were in three different locations, Florida, San Diego, and Madrid. And now we have spread out to five different locations. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's interesting when you find a group of people that you really, we all have very similar ideas about the power of theater for change. 
and making meaningful work. Uh, we didn't want to just entertain people. We really wanted to contribute. You know, when you when you talked earlier, I know one thing that I didn't um, address was the the time. Right? What was what was happening in the world? Well, we had Black Lives Matter protests, and we when we started the laboratories, it was a really rough summer. It was a really chaotic, um, very heartbreaking time to be making work. Um, and as artists, we decided that we wanted to address some of these issues head on, that we didn't want to pretend, you know, that we were just all sitting in our houses and, and needing, you know, everyone had Netflix going on. You could, you could watch <laughs> your, your, your favorite, you know, comedy show reruns if you wanted to, but we, we decided that we were going to tackle something that was, that was important to us. And as you know, a divisor, I'm very, very comfortable handing over or, you know, seating, seating the director chair to allow everyone to have their input and opinion. It was very important to me that I remember a couple of really hard conversations that we had about the material and moving forward and who was going to tell the story. Um, because, me as a white person, you know, there's a Lydia is Filipina and um, Carla is is black. And I felt very uncomfortable at sometimes, you know, being in charge of, of telling this story when it wasn't my story to tell. And so we had to figure out a way of working together where I was completely comfortable with with people coming in and, and saying, no, I disagree. And this is why, or, you know, we should take the material in this area or include this or not include that. Um, we use some media, um, some, some photos to set the scene um, at the top of the show. And it was very important to me that everyone had, everyone weighed in on that and that I wasn't a director in your traditional sense of, of making all of these decisions, because that made me very uncomfortable at that. Well, <laughs> Now, now and forever, you know, but I think those of us who are divisors, um, we have probably always had that sense, but it was really heightened during that time where the stories and the messages that we were working with and towards were so personal to, to all of us, but in such diverse ways. And so I think as a result of that, we have we have bonded in a way and we figured out how to work and tell this very, very personal, very vulnerable story in a very unique way. And so, yeah, we will continue to work together for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, maybe um, moving moving away a little bit from the project, you did mention you're writing a book. Is that related to theater in any way or is it a completely different field no it certainly is i cannot escape theater for sure it's a book about storytelling um it's called it's called origin story and it is about the power of storytelling and about controlling your narrative and you know whether that's through creative projects or your social media content or giving a ted talk it's really about finding the essence of who you are and not looking outside of yourself to do that, but looking at the evidence that you already have in your own life about your own experiences, your core memories, really paying attention to your inner voice and what has been guiding you through your life and getting reconnected with that. 
and figuring out how to tell that story and how to move forward, building a community by telling that story. And for me, it has everything to do with theater because that's what we did with Adventures of the Red Wolves. We told our story and we attracted people like, you know, um, the the public from your conference, for example, and people at the Women's Theater Festival, we, we started to develop our own community for that particular project um, by telling our story. And I also teach a storytelling class called Finding Your Voice, where I help people to discover and craft their story. So it's really about the structure of storytelling. You know, I, I do get into a little bit of technical as far as here are the elements that you need for a good story, you know, your obstacles, which I call detours, your antagonists. Um, I also get into something that's called kryptonite, which is kind of your, you know, that that one value or um, kind of behavior that you cannot tolerate and that makes you weak and you can't function right? If you can avoid some of these things in your life, but you have to identify them first. And so origin story is all about really rediscovering and reconnecting to what makes you unique and being able to tell that story and put it into your work. If you're an artist or an entrepreneur uh, or even, or even a business executive connecting with, with people to tell your story as a mentor, for example. Mm -hmm. And for you, one such story was the story of Little Red Riding Hood for yourself, where you said Absolutely. it kind of came yeah. up in the project and it was something that you've always been connected to in some way. Yeah, that that was a moment, that was motivation for writing the book. It happened before I started writing the book. And I just started thinking about how when I discovered that play, so many things fell into place. So many things that I had been, ideas that I'd been struggling with, questions about who am I, um, this, this fight between, you know, my inner fight, my inner struggles with, am I an artist or should I do something? You know, we have these conversations about getting a real job um, and, you know, making money and, and doing these things. And I fought against my artist, my creative self. And when I discovered that play, I just realized I have been this way my whole life. I'm going to stop fighting this. This is who I am. And I'm going to figure out how to incorporate it more into my life. And it gave me a kind of confidence of like, look, I don't have a choice in this, <laughs> right? <laughs> Or not so much that I didn't have a choice, but that I had these abilities and to not use them and share them. I've been, you know exploring social justice and social change since there's a part in the book where I talk about how, you know, the, in the play that I adapted, um, little red riding hood says no to smoking because the wolf asks her, you know, and at 10 years old, I, I saved myself, you know, the little red riding hood, she saved herself. Right. And with this red wolves project, I realized that I was still working on that same theme at least four decades later. And it, it just, it was a kind of magic moment for me that I wanted to help other people discover in their own lives. Okay. That's so, sounds exciting. Um, 
if people would like to find you on the internet or contact you, where, where, could, where can people find you? Yeah, I have, I have a website. Um, it's carriecluin.com. That's C-A-R-R-I-E-K-L-E-W-I-N. And you can also find me under that name on almost every social media, LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. And there are links in, in all of those places for the book, which is coming out very soon in May. And I encourage people to reach out and I love having conversations about theater and origin stories and how we can, how we can move forward by bringing more creativity into our lives and inspiring others. Okay. So I'll definitely put your um, contact details in the, in, in the show notes. So uh, people can look it up if they want to and could get in touch with you. Um, yeah. And I think I would wrap up the interview. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing um, the stories, the Red Wolf stories, and also about your pro book project with us. I wish you all the best for your projects. Um, and maybe we'll hear more about the Red Wolves in the future. Who knows? <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.